Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello to you at home and welcome here to the Hill on News Nation. The Republican candidates are coming to his defense. President Biden is calling him an insurrectionist. Brand new reaction today from the controversy in Colorado after Donald Trump is kicked off the ballot in that state. But it's what Ron DeSantis had to say that really got us thinking about what could potentially come next. Plus, did we just witness the worst Congress ever? The numbers show that could be the case, but now there actually happens to be one issue that is gaining some real bipartisan traction. Why lawmakers are lamenting the sale of U.S. steel and liftoff once again for Blue Origin. It was a, a big moment for Jeff Bezos, no doubt about it. But did you see what he said about where he thinks we are headed both on and off this planet? Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwald, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Kelly Meyer is News Nation's Washington correspondent. Dan Cannonen, former Obama campaign official. And Mick Mulvaney, former Trump White House chief of staff and News Nation political and economic contributor. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, come on in. Uh, join us here for the next hour or so. Good to have you in. First, though, here on the Hill, consider this split screen. This right there, uh, that is a live look at Eagle Pass, Texas. Our Allie Bradley reports once again, the number of encounters on the southern border yesterday topped 12,000. That is just encounters. The congressman from that district, Tony Gonzalez, earlier today pleaded for federal help. In my district, local communities have no further resources to continue sustaining this migrant crisis. I am sounding the alarm as loud as I possibly can. Now, today, the president wasn't at a border state, rather a battleground state, pitching Bidenomics in Wisconsin. Increase the middle class. The poor have a shot and the wealthy still do very well. The middle class does well and we all do well. That's what we call Bidenomics. Hello to you all. Nice to have you in. Um, you know, we're going to, of course, get into Colorado and what all that means and what was said uh, here in just a moment. But I want to start with this headline, Chris, from the New York Post today. It showed this and it simply said the word surrender. Today, the president in Wisconsin, when you've got members of Congress pleading for help at the border. 
So the the hard part is if you're when you're the president. So it's obviously it's not that he's done nothing or isn't interested in this or whatever Republicans or the New York Post are saying. But at the same time, if you go and answer those critics, right, you go run down to the border when the New York Post puts a headline up. If you go run down to the border and say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm worried. I remember when Barack Obama was under intense pressure, intense pressure ahead of the 2012 election about migrants and migrant trains and all of this stuff. And uh, Obama resisted and resisted and resisted. Hmm. Eventually he broke and he went down to Texas and it was a catastrophe, right? It was a debacle because, oh, it's too little, it's too late. So figuring out the happy balance between uh, caving into your critics and your enemies on the other party and trying to stay the course, it's very hard for an incumbent. But what would you make of, obviously, we're seeing record numbers right now at, at the southern border, uh, and the president today, you know, uh, there hasn't been any action, I, I guess, is, is, is part of it. I, I, I think it's different this time around. How right? so? Typically, the, the border's been an issue for the last six or seven elections. Yep. Right? But it's never gotten this bad. So if you're going off of a playbook from 2020 or 2016 or 2012, the Democrat says, okay, only Republicans care about the border. I'm going to go to Wisconsin and Michigan because that's where elections are won and lost. This year, I think it's different. I think you're starting to see left-leaning media outlets talk about the border. CNN is doing pieces on the hmm. border. Republic, Democrat governors and, and, and mayors care about the border. I think Biden might be running the last race, and it might be a big mistake not to go. I, I, I grant it. It's, 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 it's a minefield when you get down there. But sooner or later, he might have to address this for his own base, and not just Republicans. Like Democratic mayors talking about this, speaking out, yeah. seeing in Chicago the five-year-old here, migrant. Here, here was, here was Henry Cuellar. Sorry, hold that thought for a second. Here was yeah. Henry Cuellar on the show, a Democrat, yesterday. In my district, I got a lot of, my district's about 80% Hispanic, uh, Democrats. And guess what? When I go to church or when I go to store, what are people telling me? Henry, you got to secure the border. We got to do something. Okay, Callie, sorry. Go, keep no, going. No, no, it's okay. I mean, yeah, you're seeing more and more people speak out about this. But I will say we are seeing the White House. They were just on Capitol Hill. They were trying to, you know, bang out this border deal if they could. They didn't get it done before Christmas. But I believe Secretary Mayorkas was back up on Capitol Hill today. So, you know, House Republican strategy with tying this to Ukraine aid got them to kind of get some movement on the border. But as you said, it's an issue that's plagued administration to administration. So I agree with Chris's point fundamentally about where Biden should be on this. And the Obama analogy is a really good one. You run down there, it creates this optics moment that's not good for him. And think about how Joe Biden operates in politics. He wants to legislate and get to a deal and get to a grand bipartisan bargain on guns, on infrastructure, on, on climate. I think the framework he put together, Israel, Ukraine, border funding, which he put on the table, and then Congress went home, right? Right. They're going to keep working on that through January 8th, and I think they want to get something done that actually sticks. I, I think it, we're all in agreement it would be in his best interest to get a, a border deal for, for lots of different reasons. But the worse that this gets, and the worse right. that these optics are, and the worse that this is, so that's an incentive for Biden to get a deal. It's a disincentive for House Republicans, yes. mm. because it's causing Biden political pain, and it, they want to exploit that next year. Allie Bradley, uh, I mentioned Allie's reporting today. She is live in Lukeville, Arizona once again. Allie, I'm wondering what you're seeing there. Yeah, Lukeville, Arizona has taken the second spot here. Eagle Pass, obviously, super busy right now. Customs and Border Protection confirming to us, though, that 12,200 people crossed 
into the United States through the southern border yesterday alone. So let's take you to some video that I actually captured here earlier this morning, just in a sea of hundreds of single adults trying to rush to get to the front of the line here for processing. And that's what we're seeing down here in the Tucson sector as people continue to pour across the border here and, as I mentioned, in Eagle Pass, Texas, the other kind of problem spot. And that means the court cases continue to pile up as well because most of these people are being processed and released with a notice to appear. And right now we're seeing a new record. Illegal immigrants crossing into the U.S., they are given that notice to appear, but because of the crush of migrants that we're seeing and the lack of resources, some of these individuals are getting court dates three, four, five years out. We even saw one as far out as 2029. And we want to show you this video here that we just received from Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who was down in Eagle Pass here today. It shows the overcrowded, soft-sided facility. This is inside Firefly. This was this morning. Now, this facility is only meant to hold about 1,000 people maximum, you guys. The congressman was told by the sector chief there that there are 5,900 people that are in that facility to be processed. Congressman Gonzalez says that an official with DHS actually attempted to block Lock him and his view from filming. You can kind of see a hand there at the end of that video. That is what he's saying is someone trying to block his view there. Meanwhile, Texas Governor Greg Abbott's office confirming here to News Nation that they are now following through on their promise to send illegal immigrants to so-called sanctuary cities. This time, though, by air. They sent 120 people from El Paso last night, landed in Chicago O'Hare a few hours later, you guys. So that is what Abbott's doing right now. He's already sent at least 82,000 migrants via bus, Blake. Allie Bradley live for us once again uh, along the southern border. Allie, thank you very much. All right, on to Colorado now. Timing is everything in life. Huh? Sometimes we walked out of the studio yesterday at 6 o'clock Eastern, and then, like, bang, the news happened. Uh, you know by now, Donald Trump kicked off the ballot in Colorado. That, that's, that's, you know, 23 hours old. The president, though, was asked about it earlier today. President Biden, this was his response. self-evident. You saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported the insurrection. And no question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. Anyway. All right. So that was President Biden basically saying uh, that, that Donald Trump is a quote-unquote insurrectionist. He was asked. That was his answer. There's a lot of ways to look at this, I know. And we can get into some of it. But what Ron DeSantis said today is, is, is where I want to start. He was back out on the campaign trail, and this is what the Florida governor, Republican presidential candidate, said. Look, if somebody's convicted or something of, of some of these things, there was no trial on any of this. They basically just said, what, you can't be on the ballot? I mean, how does that work? What's the limiting principle for that? Uh, why could, could we just say that Biden can't be on the ballot because he let in 8 million illegals? Could we just say that Biden can't be on the ballot because he let in eight million illegals? Mick, we are in an era where impeachment is no longer like, uh, oh, my gosh, there's an impeachment. Is this the start of new impeachment? And there is somebody at some right wing think tank right now trying to figure out a way to do exactly what. Less than 24 hours. He came up with that. No question. And and, and he's not the only one. Look, my question is this. The Supreme Court has a chance to do something here. They have a chance to do something that they, they, they don't typically do on issues like this. They could do nine nothing on this. They really could. You can foresee a circumstance where the Supreme Court comes back and says nine nothing. Wait a second. This section of the Constitution does not apply to the president, the vice president of the United States. Because other places in the Constitution, they mention president, vice president. This section deals with officers, senators, congressmen, etc. Be curious to see what Joe Biden says if the Supreme Court comes back nine to zero 
after he says he says it's clear that Trump shouldn't be on the ballot and clears he's in, an insurrectionist. But it might be that a 9-0 Supreme Court decision puts this to bed on both sides permanently. Chris, what about this idea of what Ron DeSantis laid out, which is, you know what, we could do this on another topic in another state down the line to someone else? Well, uh, when they when they tell us it couldn't get worse, just remember that it can all. There's a, there, <laughs> there's, it couldn't get there, worse. There's, yeah, there's always another rung uh, down on the ladder. <clears throat> Look, this is uh, hard. This is uh, this is very hard stuff because on the one hand you have Donald Trump who did something that no American president. We've had a, several very rotten human beings be president before who have done a lot of rotten stuff, no doubt about it. But none of them ever did what Donald Trump did. And none of them ever tried to disrupt the peaceful transference of power. That was a first. That was a big blinking warning light. And I think historians will look back. I think my grandchildren, when they're in college and they're studying American history, uh, they'll think, I don't have any grandchildren yet. Uh, they They will be thinking about this, which is if only the United States Senate had found the courage to convict Donald Trump when he was impeached for sending a mob of hooligans to the Capitol to try to disrupt uh, the certification of an election, American history might have been different. Hmm. If you do this, right, so if states start knocking Trump off the ballot, they start picking him off, well, they're going to, okay, so he can do that, so other states do it, and we were to go down that path, you get to the possibility of national rupture, Hmm. and you get to the possibility of, as we had at another time, a dark time in American history, where we do not have one president who is acknowledged by all Americans and all the states in the United States. <clears throat> the Coloradans may have a point here. There may be truth in it. I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know. But they are playing with fire. Chris, this it's a is great big point. Stuff. What, if, what if this holds? What if Trump is not on the ballot in Colorado and Trump wins? Does Colorado still consider him to be the president of the United States? Hmm. Hmm. Jesse Weber, come on in. Uh, News Nation legal contributor. Um, Jesse, what a, what about it? Um, you know, what, what Ron DeSantis said today, what you hear from, from Chris and Mick. Yeah, so look, this extreme rhetoric going into this extremes, it's, it's concerning. But I will tell you, we have legal safeguards in place, right? So as controversial as this decision is, and who knows what the Supreme Court's going to do. First, let me just tell you, you had seven justices, all democratically appointed, who were split on this. So who knows what the Supreme Court's going to do? Technically speaking, there is a provision that if you engage in an insurrection, it's in, it makes you ineligible to, for office, whether it means it applies to the president or applies to these circumstances, that's one thing. What Ron DeSantis says, I get it from a political point of view, it's not going to work legally. Just even if you assume that Biden did something unconstitutional, how many times do we have a president signing an executive order, signing a bill into law that is ultimately ruled unconstitutional? doesn't mean that they can't stay in office. It doesn't mean that they can't be reelected. There's a difference here. It's the conversation about using extreme measures to try to get someone out of office that is the more concerning thing rather rather if it's actually going to legally come to fruition all right jesse weber uh wanted to get get your voice in get uh, your opinion gotta leave it there thank you we'll we'll catch you next time soon you you got it yep dan real quick real quick i mean chris's point and the president's point is the right one i mean whether or not this gets upheld by the court on the grounds of was he an insurrectionist was there due process or does it apply to him is a legal question there's no doubt he incited an insurrection in the minds of the public, and we got to remember that going forward. All right, uh, we'll half, talk about it. Come, half the country disagrees. Yeah, that's that. no. so, and that's where. No, sorry, I'll let you finish. But, Jeff. No, I did. Half the country disagrees with that. So I hear what you're saying, but that that can't end the conversation because you've just what you just said is Greek to half of this country. Mm. All right. Perhaps. 
We're going to be talking about it coming up here. Uh, clearly, I mean, whenever the Supreme Court weighs in, you, you think it's coming in the upcoming weeks. But in the upcoming weeks as well, New Hampshire. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Did you know? Uh, of course, first in the nation primary. What is it, Chris? Three, four weeks out? It's like 34 days. Third, like counting? 34 yeah. days. <laughs> Who's counting? Steyerwald breaking it down uh, coming up here on the show. And what he is watching, especially with those two right there in New Hampshire. Plus... In the era of Democrats say this, Republicans say that, would you believe it that they might actually be speaking the same language on this? It has to do with U.S. steel. Coming up right after the break, one lawmaker from Pennsylvania and what he wants the administration to do about it. You're watching The Hill here on News Nation. We're back in a few. Stay with us. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So several members of Congress from both sides of the political aisle are now opposing the sale of a major American manufacturer, U.S. Steel. That sale to Japan's largest steelmaking company. There are concerns about potential national security implications. Joining us now is the Pennsylvania Democratic Congressman Chris Deluzio, who represents parts of the Pittsburgh area and wants to see the deal Stopped. Congressman, thank you for being here uh, on the Hill on News Nation. Appreciate the time. Um, this is obviously a story that broke here in the last few days or so. One of the things that I find fascinating about this, yourself, Bob Casey, John Fetterman, all Democrats, are saying the exact same thing as Marco Rubio, J.D. Vance, and Josh Hawley, all Republicans, basically calling on the Treasury Department to stop this sale of U.S. steel to Nippon, which is a Japanese company. Have you talked to President Biden about this? Have you talked to the administration about this? And what have you expressed to them, if so? Well, the administration has heard from me. It's heard from uh, my senators in Pennsylvania. It's heard from, as you, as you include, some Republican senators as well. This is bad for the country. It's bad for folks in western Pennsylvania. I represent a lot of the people who made the steel that built this country across generations who still make that steel. And this feels like a gut punch to a community like mine that's seen the same story play out time and time again. Your hard work doesn't matter if it's in the way of profit. Wall Street will chase the cheapest labor, the weakest environmental rules, and everything else it can to squeeze out every penny of profit possible to include. So, so a if, 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 foreign ownership if you here, describe it, yeah, if you describe it as a gut punch, um, I wonder if you think that President Biden would be failing Pennsylvania if this sale is allowed to go through? I think the administration has heard crystal clear from me, from Senator Casey, Senator Fetterman, and others, that the process that exists, CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, can scrutinize and block transactions like this one that hurt national security. We've asked for exactly that to happen. This is a clear concern around national security. And you throw on top of it the disregard for the union steelworkers, the steelworkers folks who work at USW, have a contract that gives them the right to be notified and consulted on a deal like this. This is a, this is a bad way to go about making steel in this country and standing up for communities like Western Pennsylvania it, who do the to do it. But you know, Congressman, this is, um, this is a publicly traded company. So there is a fiduciary responsibility for that company to accept a, a, a great deal for the stockholders. And if you double up uh, the stock price, how do you turn that down? They open themselves up to lawsuits if they don't take the deal, do they not? Yeah, that shareholder primacy myth is exactly that. Managers of companies have obligations to their workers. They have obligations to their communities. They have obligations to this country. And you think about a company like U.S. Steel. They have benefited tremendously 
from the Inflation Reduction Act, from President Biden's infrastructure bill. They've benefited from defense spending. They've benefited from strong action from President Trump and President Biden on tariffs. Uh, they've gotten a lot from this country and they've gotten a lot from the people I represent. And we should expect more of them than just chasing the absolute maximum profit they can. Uh, that is the definition of what has happened in the shareholder maximization myth that Wall Street peddles and loves. And it has gutted out communities like mine. And we've had enough of it. All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. Congressman Chris Deluzio, uh, appreciate the time. This will be in the news for, for many, many weeks and months, I think. So we hope you come on back. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, Mick, I know you were dis- disagreeing with some of that. A couple you, you didn't agree with the gut punch part. Well, I, well, I did. I would have asked him, why is it a gut punch? Why would it be different now? It's a publicly traded company. So all the things he said are going to happen, which is they're going to be chasing the fast dollar. They're going to be putting pressure on labor, et cetera. How is that different after the sale than it is today? It's a publicly traded company. Cepheus, this is our closest ally. So I, I, I don't understand. I, I, I would ask the congressman, anybody who opposes it, why do you really oppose it? What, what, what is it about the fact it's owned by someone outside this country any different than being owned by someone inside this country? Why is it going to be different? But the other thing I do is, and I talk to corporate folks about this all the time, you heard at the very end a lot of what the Inflation Reduction Act was about and a lot of what the left's elements, uh, uh, initiatives are about, which is if we give you this money, you're going to owe us. Okay? And I always told corporations, be careful when you ask to partner up with the federal government, because what you're going to hear is that. Hmm. You're no longer working for the shareholders. You're no longer even working for the employees. You're working for us, the federal government. That's what's at the root of some of this. And the question of, is the president going to, would, would he be failing that community? I mean, you know, yeah. he's put time, money, energy. He's staking his campaign on, on Pennsylvania, and that's yeah. a big issue for him. I thought you brought up a great point there. What's President Biden going to do? And I think that's going to be an interesting question. I don't think he's been asked about this yet, so maybe we could catch him before he leaves for the holidays. Hmm. He's from Scranton. You ask him, Meyer. Go I'll, for it. You know, Get, I, in I there. Get in there. I gotta go. I'll go ask him. He lands at five. Maybe he's late. Um, but yeah, he's he's from Scranton. They saw the downfall of coal mines there. They felt that effect. I'm from Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. Then we saw in Pittsburgh, we saw Fetterman fighting for this. They had the still mills in Braddock where he was mayor. So you see Bob Casey, John Fetterman joining Republicans on this. They don't want to see that happen again. They say this is bad for PA workers. And it's something that they may be able to... By the way, something to, to keep in the back of your mind. This is U.S. and Japan. Nine of the top 13 steelmakers in the world are in China. China. Can I just very very quick, I know you have to go, but very quickly I want to say, I am so sick to death. I grew up not far from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia. And I am sick to death for four decades. I have heard politicians in both parties say that they were going to bring the steel industry back. Mm. Say that Made in America Steel was coming home. We were going to do it. It was bull hockey then. It's bull hockey now. I suppose they could stop the sale of U.S. steel and it could die more slowly. I suppose the remaining works could rust out and rot and the jobs would go that way. And maybe it would feel superior. But I have watched politicians in both parties, Republicans and Democrats, exploit the Rust Belt and the decline of American industry for short-term political gain to their own advantage and while those communities have foundered. And it just, it really bugs me. Chris Steyerwalt from West Virginia, born and raised. Um, the first U.S. company, by the way, on that list of biggest steelmakers in the world is 16th to Chris's point, to show you where we are. All right, now, despite that bipartisan angst with U.S. Steel, it actually turns out uh, not much bipartisanship at all this year. Consider this question. <laughs> Did we just witness the worst Congress ever? The numbers here actually could suggest maybe it's, it's at least one of the least productive, if nothing else. Congress passed only 27 bills that became law this year. 
Um, it gives the phrase, Dan, do nothing Congress, does it not? Uh, it really does. And, and you got the look numbers at, there. Look at those numbers. So yeah. this year, 27 bills compared to the last three Congresses, you're talking in the three to four hundreds. So, so Mick knows this. Chris knows this. Do you bring a bill to the floor if you don't have the votes? In, in Congress, not normally. No. But in this House of Representatives, only 37% of the bills that came to the floor passed. Wow. Of the 83 the House passed, there are 13 that didn't even bother to message over to the Senate. They issued press releases saying we did this thing, Senate take it up, but didn't actually send it there procedurally because they knew it was dead in arrival anyhow. They've done absolutely nothing for the American people. <laughs> absolutely nothing. Take the other side of this. Well, bring, the, bring the numbers back up Okay, again. pop them off. Let me ask the viewers a question. There's the numbers from the last couple of years, right, mm-hmm. uh, of the number of bills passed, which are not coming up. But when it comes up, ask yourself this. You don't have that kind of clout around here, Mulvaney. <laughs> so I asked the viewers. Was government really that much better in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022? Do we really measure the success of a Congress by the number of bills you pass? I'm going to actually measure it by the, by the number of bills they don't pass. Okay? Mm. It's a different side to this. And the House has actually passed more bills in this Congress than it has like in the last two. So I, I don't know if this is the metric. The media focuses very closely on this type of thing. But let me ask you know, anybody who's watching the show... Name five bills that were passed in 2017, 2018. You probably can't. Name five bills that were passed. Tax law. You were part of that. (laughs) Business Blake is on the case. There's always one or two. Yeah, that's a big one. But 223. Hold on, though. There there, there was, to to Chris's point about manufacturing, there's a million new manufacturing jobs in this country because of the bipartisan infrastructure law signed by the president in the last Congress. That was impactful. I get that, but that's because that's one bill. That wasn't a volume. That wasn't a a, a product of the number of bills that were passed. It was a really good bill in your eyes. I get that. I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is you could pass that one bill and not pass anything else, and you'd still have that. You could pass that bill and pass 300 others, and that could still be all you have. All right. Um, coming up here on the show, I told you we were going to get to Starwalt. So what you, good. What are you going to break down? <laughs> so good. Are you breaking down? We're, we're doing it by pound. We're going to do it by pound. It's just like, just, just like the congressional legislation. It won't be good, but there's just going to be a lot of it. There's so going to be a lot of volume. Coming up is New Hampshire, obviously, a month from now. There's a storyline sort of threading its way in. Nikki Haley, Chris Christie. What's Chris Christie doing? Starwalt breaks it down on the other side of the break. Stay with us. Break it down. Did you say you are going to do it like that? All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So in 34 days, voters in New Hampshire will get their say in the 2024 Republican presidential primary. Some Republicans in the Granite State are now voicing their concern that one of Donald Trump's fiercest critics may now be paving the former president's path to the nomination. Steyerwalt here to break it down. Chris? For having been at the highest level of achievement, uh, for, for having been at his highest level of achievement, the two-term governor of a medium-sized state, Chris Christie has an extraordinary place in the American political mind, a mega meme, if you will. We met him 14 years ago as the long-shot Republican winner of the governorship of Deep Blue, New Jersey, and got acquainted with his tough-talking ways and hard-charging approach. Then came a flirtation with the presidential run in 2012, which ended in grudging support uh, for Mitt Romney. But more famously was his controversial warm welcome, don't say hug, for incumbent Barack Obama, who came to survey storm damage on the eve of the general election. Then came his reelection, soon followed Christie's reelection, soon followed by Bridgegate, in which his aides were, aides were found to have used the power of his office to punish a political foe. He survived uh, and started his 2016 presidential campaign, which, fueled by his great rhetorical gifts and the electorate's appetite for an unvarnished, mad-as-heck 
Northeastern Republican showed some early promise. But voters found a very different guy with the same vibe, Donald Trump. But on his way out, Christie did something that would change his legacy, overshadowing all the meme-worthy exploits of the past. Take a listen. Let's dispel with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. You see, everybody, I want the people at home to think about this. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information, and then the memorized 25-second speech. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is, the memorized 25-second speech. Well, that's- Uh, Christie's evisceration of Marco Rubio just before the New Hampshire primary stands tall in the lore of the election that broke the Republican Party. Robot Rubio will forever haunt the Florida senator. And when Christie dropped out and endorsed Donald Trump, giving Christie's old acquaintance some very useful help, experienced, serious-minded, and familiar with Trump, Christie was a valuable character witness for mainstream Republicans who were very nervous about Trump. Uh, Trump could have won without Christie, and Rubio sure wasn't on the way up, but it was a moment when it became obvious to all the race had changed. Trump didn't do anything for Christie. For a time, Christie tried to help Trump mediate his worst instincts in office, but by the time Trump got to January 6th, Christie was through and went on to become the most ardent, most withering critic of Trump in the Republican race. And yet, here we are again. (laughs) Take a look at this. Here it is. Politico headline. How Chris Christie became a monumental problem for Haley and a potential boon to Trump. Uh, I want uh, you guys to think about this. Take a look at, here's the 2016 uh, GOP New Hampshire polling primary average going into the race. You see how it was then. There you go. Trump 30, Rubio 13, Christie 11, Ted Cruz not. Okay, now look at the next one. Look at 2024. Anything seem familiar to you there? Does that look does that look familiar to you folks at all? Chris Christie now stands at the point where he could do to uh, Nikki Haley what he did to Marco Rubio eight years ago. Republicans are freaking out about it because, uh, or the Republicans who don't want it to be Trump are freaking out about it. But here we are again. We did. We we're back where we started. Uh, Starwell breaks it down. So he was at eleven. Now he's at twelve. Basically, the polling is there. He could help Nikki Haley if he gets out. So for those who want anything but Trump, the question would be, is he being selfish for staying in? Well, Kelly, I, I, do, I am curious about getting uh, the, uh, a woman's perspective on this. When Chris Christie was on stage at our debate, yeah. people are saying it was the best debate. When he was on stage at our debate and he white-knighted yeah. Nikki Haley, mm-hmm. was that helpful to Nikki Haley? Because I talked to a lot of women mm-hmm. who said, you shouldn't have let him come in and, and, and yeah. rush to your aid. You should have been your own woman. I've heard that, and I've heard that criticism that maybe she should have said, you know what, I got this. Right. And she could have maybe had a moment there, and maybe that was a moment missed. Um, it was nice to see the camaraderie between them, but maybe she could have said something there. But I will say, you know, with this, with, you know, Christy, he could, for being so anti-Trump, he could just go ahead and white knight Haley, support her in this. To do the real thing and, and drop out. And, and just endorse. do this. And then and realize it's history repeating itself, he should just step down. Mm-hmm. I think, like, I think, and you know Christy well, so then the question is if, if he basically, um, if his campaign is keep Donald Trump out of the Oval Office again, again, is he, is he being, does he need to get out? There's an assumption here that everybody who's voting for Chris Christie will vote for Nikki Haley if he drops out of the race, and certainly some will, but our polling data from before the, uh, the great 
debate down in Alabama indicated that Ron DeSantis was actually the favorite second choice of most people, mm-hmm. it about 35%. In fact, Vivek Ramaswamy was a more popular second choice than Nikki mm-hmm. Haley was. And again, those questions that Chris and I have talked about off camera can be very confusing, and I, I get all of that, but I think we're assuming here something that I haven't seen data to back up yet. It may exist, but I've not seen Well, let's, let's say that Half of Christie's support went to because none of it would go to Donald Trump. There are no right. there are no think there are no fair. Christie Trump voters. <laughs> but let's say let's say that half of Christie's support uh, went to Ronnie D, and the other half went to Nikki Haley, and a yeah. few were spilled upon the ground. But then Vivek Ramaswamy drops out of the race, and all of his votes are going to Donald Trump. Well, I, I, my my guess, no offense to Mr. Ramaswamy, I, I believe that his, I believe that his, his maximum payload in New Hampshire is fairly low at this point. Chris, do you think though that that Rubio, not Rubio, Christie? See, uh, well done, Inception, my friend. Do, do you think his interest is really in this point in getting Nikki Haley or someone else elected instead of Trump, or has he simply accepted the fact that Trump's going to win, and he wants the Republican Party to have a reckoning with Trump, which they will not have? That's what he says. I I believe Chris Christie loves America. I believe Chris Christie is serious-minded. I believe that the time that he spent as a federal prosecutor post-9-11, uh, the, he is serious. He cares about this stuff. It matters to him, and I think he is sincere in his warnings about Donald Trump. Unfortunately for him, he now has a choice to make about what that legacy is. It's would also be like. personal. It's, it, yeah, it, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's professional. Yes, it's love for country, but he does feel like, and I've talked to him about this, he feels like he was cut out of that Trump administration. Yeah, and he followed and Donald Trump around on, on the campaign trail and got made, got fat, Donald Trump made fat jokes about him. Mocked him, mistreated him, did all that. So I'm sure that doesn't make you want to But if to Trump him. underperforms in Iowa and looks more vulnerable than we think he is, and then does Christie look at New Hampshire and say, oof, maybe I do need to get behind Haley. But if Trump romps in Iowa at that point, does he continue his crusade of just going I after think, him for rhetorical purposes? I think that the time to decide for Chris Christie is sooner than that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Uh, by the way, Friday here on News Nation, a special edition of Dan Abrams Live. Dan will be talking with Congressman Dean Phillips for the full hour. They'll discuss his Democratic presidential primary challenge against President Biden. That is Friday, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 Central, right here on News Nation. Dan Abrams, live. Uh, coming up, though, here on the Hill, did you see this earlier this week? Blue Origin going back up into space. That guy right there, Jeff Bezos, is behind it, of course. He did a two-hour-long podcast. Did you guys check it out? No. No? It was, it was so fascinating because we never hear Jeff Bezos speak for, like, hours on end. And he made some comments about what he thinks the human race could look like Whoa. and how many people could be floating out there in outer space and how we deal with all of that. Was he smoking with Elon when he was no, talking? No, he was talking to Lex Friedman. It's right. fascinating. We'll get to it on the other side of the break. And uh, our newsletter, by the way, Decision Desk 2024, our campaign view. You can subscribe there. QR code on your screen. Uh, it's newsnationnow.com. You can go there to, to subscribe as well. The Hill on News Nation, back in a field. So Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin launched a rocket-carrying experiment uh, earlier this week. It marks the first flight since a previous crash in 2022 uh, caused by engine trouble. Now, the success draws the ever-growing comparison to another entrepreneurial giant making waves in the space industry. Bezos, in a rare and recent wide-ranging interview, shared part of his vision for planet Earth and humankind. I would love to see, you know, a, a, you know, a trillion humans living in the solar system and we'll build a giant O'Neill style colonies 
the, they go to Earth for vacation. Yeah. Same way that, you know, you might go to, to Yellowstone National Park for vacation. What do you, what's, your, what's your beef with it? <laughs> it's just whatever. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Have I got HGH in space? Cause clearly- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh, come yeah. on. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Blake is disclaiming. Blake, Blake is disclaiming. I don't know. Just be a rich. Be happy. I don't know. Get over well, it. Well, he's trying to, he's, he's, I mean, he, he basically got out of Amazon to do Blue Origin. Yeah. And now, you know, this is like what he's based, or focusing his, his time, energy, and effort on. Well, he conquered Earth, and now he wants to go conquer space. It's just like these men and I don't know. So I did the math. He said that uh, if we have a trillion people, these men and I don't know. These men and I don't know. That's Kelly's quote of the day. These men ellipsis, and I don't know. I mean, come on, guys. He, he, I think in the interview he said that uh, if we have a trillion human beings, we'll have a thousand Mozarts. Yeah. I did the math on that, actually. There's a, about 10 billion people on the planet. You ever take that? I mean, there should be 10 Mozarts out there someplace. I don't think there is. Well, so, I mean, a lot of this is just self-promotion, right? As far as I'm concerned, he can go. He can take Elon. So then he could take Bill Are you worried, though, that we're giving up space to billionaires, right? Because between oh, him, between Elon, he, here is a little bit more of, of, uh, of, of Jeff Bezos. And we'll, we'll get to that. Just like the Internet is big and there are lots of winners at all scale levels and space is big. There's room for a bunch of winners and it's going to happen at all scale levels. And so, you know, SpaceX is going to be successful for sure. I want Blue Origin to be successful, and I hope there are another, you know, five companies right behind us. He said he wants five companies behind us, not five government agencies or, or you know, all that. There's a reason we've made such a great advances in space in the last 10 or 15 years, because we turned it over to the private sector. I have no difficulty with that. I'd love the private sector is doing it better than the government's. Bird, I, just, I just wish he would take the energy that he's putting into this <laughs> and fix the sports coverage of the Washington Post. <laughs> it's within your reach, Mr. Bezos. Well, it's within your reach. Okay, you can on, do it. On Nick's point about the trillion humans and the thousand Mozarts, yeah. there are, just to be a little serious, there's a billion people in poverty on this planet. We could be focusing some attention on that as opposed to a trillion people. It's in his space. money. Let him do what he wants to with it. Oh, right? Sure, he can, but he's going to space. It's and a the fast pipes, thing. man. The pipes. <laughs> yeah. you're going to be thinking about the shit. Yeah, I know. Oh, exactly. By the way, uh, speaking of space, did you see this? NASA discovering a special spot in space that you could say is decked out for the holidays. Check this out. The discovery is called the Christmas Tree Cluster, oh. located in the Milky Way, about a uh, 2,500 light years away. I have no clue what that means, but it's a <laughs> pretty cool image. Cluster of young stars, some even bigger than the sun. The uh, the Christmas Tree Cluster. Bezos paid for it. Exactly. You think he paid for that? Bezos yeah. got that. It's going to say Amazon. It's say Prime. <laughs> All right. Meantime, uh, Harvard's President Claudine Gay is back in the hot seat tonight. She is facing fresh allegations of plagiarism, unearthed in an uh, official academic complaint. Harvard's Research Integrity Office received the complaint yesterday, uh, detailing over 40 cases of alleged plagiarism. Ooh. And now, uh, this just hit, hit my inbox uh, moments ago. Now comes word that the House Education Committee, where Gay made the, the controversial comments about genocide earlier this month, they are now expanding their investigation to cover the new plagiarism allegations against Harvard's president, Elizabeth Vargas. Come on in. Uh, I know you're going to be discussing this on your show later tonight, but, um, you know, I, I asked uh, Virginia Fox on, on this program last week. She's the head of the, the Education Committee. Are you going to haul Claudine Gay back in? She wouldn't commit to it. She, she said, basically, we're going to see where the investigation goes. 
And it sounds like they're expanding the investigation. Oh, they're expanding the investigation, and there's good reason to. I mean, the Harvard Crimson yeah. said they looked into all these allegations. About half were, quote, minor mistakes, and the other half did qualify as plagiarism by the Harvard's Ooh. own standards. I'm going to be uh, interviewing in just a few minutes uh, Dr. Carol Swain, whose work was plagiarized, allegedly, by Dr. Claudine mm. Gay. She's been furious uh, speaking out uh, about why you know, she's been calling on Claudine Gay to resign, thinks, you know, no college president, much less the president of Harvard, should have these allegations hanging over her. And now that there are new allegations of plagiarism and now that this congressional inquiry has expanded to include uh, charges of plagiarism, uh, she's going to have a lot to say about that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. Got to say, I, I'm still a little stuck on Mick Mulvaney, uh, wondering whether or not there's human growth hormone in space for Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Nick, he's going to be classic. ripped in zero G. I, I, am I the only one who thought it? No. no. Okay, come on. How can no, you pump you're the iron only one in zero gravity, it, though? You're the only That's one right. who said it. I'm telling you, I'm t- Elizabeth, when you have time, you should listen to this podcast with Bezos because yeah. it's like, what, like, what is he envisioning? What is he, what is I he know, thinking about? I know. I don't know. A trillion people in space and tubes. Can, I, can, you, can you define a panic attack for me? That's it. <laughs> uh, by the way, h- hang with us here for a second, Elizabeth. What do you make, what do you make Mick? Because you're a, you're a Harvard grad of them maybe, you know, expanding this investigation. Look, they've got a lot of latitude when it comes to ESG and DEI and all that kind of stuff, right? right. They, which is where they've sort of been hiding. The board has been hiding. They don't have a lot of latitude when huh. it comes to plagiarism. Period. Yeah. End of story. I mean, yeah. if a student is, is going to get thrown out for it, they can't have a president doing the same thing. This may completely change this narrative. Abs- Elizabeth, he's uh, absolutely fascin- right. Abso- this would yeah, not be tolerated. Yeah, fascinating that you have uh, Dr. Swain on tonight. That's uh, coming up seven minutes from now. Uh, We're looking forward to it. See you then, Elizabeth. Thanks, guys. Yep, uh, Elizabeth Vargas reports 6 o'clock Eastern right here on News Nation. But before then, uh, have you seen what they're doing in the state of Georgia? The governor there, Brian Kemp, all of a sudden they've got a surplus with the budget. And he's made a decision on, you know what, we're going to hand some money out. And wait until you hear who's getting an extra bonus this holiday season. Final thoughts from the panel on the other side and what Brian Kemp is doing in Georgia. Tonight on News Nation, a first listen to the never-before-heard tapes of notorious serial killer John Wayne Gacy, what the murderer revealed about his victims and dozens of other crimes. Tonight on Banfield, only on News Nation. We say goodbye. Here's a story that caught our eye. It's a little bit of holiday cheer, you could say. The governor in the state of Georgia, that man right there, Brian Kemp, announcing that the state will provide a $1,000 bonus for public workers, including 196,000 teachers. Now, the governor saying in a statement, quote, this will arrive during the holiday season, and it's part of my administration's way of showing our appreciation for all that they do. Part of the reason Georgia's able to do this, the state has a surplus of almost $11 billion. I say it all the time. Teachers, thank you. And the governor uh, doing, a, doing an amazing thing there. In a normal, in a normal political time, uh, Brian Kemp would be the front runner for the Republican nomination mm. for president right mm. now. He would he would he would be he he'd be, he'd be the dude in a more normal political time. He's had an extraordinarily successful r- run in Georgia. Uh, he won. He did it. He's popular. He has bipartisan support. Yeah. But uh, by the way, to, to show you where they to show you where they are right now or where we are with politics, the bonus does not apply 
to elected officials. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, there, that's yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, way yeah. to do that's it, right? right. Uh, fun show. Great to hang out with all of you. Thank you very much. Uh, we hope to see you back here on the Hill tomorrow here on News Nation. You can set your DVR to watch us 5 o'clock Eastern. Until then, have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow. Elizabeth Vargas Reports starts right now. Elizabeth Vargas on the show tonight. A former president booted from the ballot in Colorado vows to take his fight to the highest court in the land where three justices he put on the bench may now decide how this election is run. Plus, breaking news out of Harvard tonight. Congress is now investigating plagiarism claims against the president of Harvard. How much of Claudine Gay's scholarship was purloined? Is her tenure coming to an end? And what does this all 